Amen. Thanks, team, for leading us this morning. Well, we are launching this weekend into a brand new message series. For the next six weeks, we're going to walk chapter by chapter through the powerful book of Ruth. Just four short chapters, but some incredible real-life lessons that we're going to learn together over these weeks together. And we thought as we start this series today, we wanted to kind of take a step back, kind of get a a 30,000-foot aerial view of this incredible story so that we can understand some of the main characters, we can understand some of the historical backgrounds, some of the cultural nuances of the day. And so to help us do that, because they can speak and and draw a lot better than me, uh, we've turned to a video by The Bible Project. And so I want to just encourage you to really zone in right on this and uh, see what we can learn together as we get ready to study the book of Ruth. So let's turn our attentions to the screens. The book of Ruth, it's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter 1 opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies, and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. He prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, this family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land, and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. 
Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow, and she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up, and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family, and he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz. And each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed, and that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story, and that's how little God is mentioned. Right, The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story, and that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life. But not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. 
And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. Amen. Let's just pray and go home, right? <laughs> they said, say it so much better than I could and uh, in an encapsulated version, and we hope that that just kind of sets the stage a little bit. And now each week of this series, we're going to do a deeper dive into each chapter and discover some incredibly relevant truths for your, your and my everyday life. And so we're looking forward to that. Today, we're specifically going to focus on Ruth chapter 1, just the first seven verses. And so I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible there. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one off of the Bible racks or you can pull out your smartphone. I'm not going to put these verses on the screen, but what I would love to do is to direct your attention there. And um, in this series, we're encouraging all of our campuses uh, to, to just bring a Bible with you, uh, lay it on your lap, because we're going to every week be in the same exact passage, so you're not going to have to flip around a whole bunch. Uh, just bring your Bible, and uh, there's just nothing like kind of having it there and being able to redirect ourselves back to God's Word, and then, man, dig into it in the, throughout the rest of the week as well. All right, so this is uh, Ruth chapter 1, and beginning in verse 1, it says, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. But then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a, a woman named Orpah, and the other named a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilian died, and they left Naomi all alone, without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard that in Moab the Lord had blessed his people back in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughter-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. So this story really opens up with a lot of almost tragedy and loss. And what we're going to discover is that God is faithful in it all. Now, next weekend, you can look forward to a message where we'll kind of focus on the last part of chapter 1, and we'll see how, how Naomi dealt with grief, and we'll, we'll, we'll learn how to express our suffering through the gift of lament. But today, we want to focus on those first seven verses, and in particular, I want us to just camp out for a few moments with chapter 1, verse 1, which sets the stage for everything else that's about to happen in this incredible story. And here's what it says, Ruth 1, verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel. Now, this is a significant time in the history of the Israelite nation. Uh, there were no kings. And we'll look in just a few moments at the significance of that. Uh, but it says that's when the judges were ruling and not only that, this severe famine sweeps across the land. A famine so severe that people literally were freaking out, not knowing where they were going to get their next meal. Um, as a result, Elimelech, this man, 
he de- who is from Bethlehem in Judah, he decides to leave his home and they go to Moab because they think that there's more food available there. It says, taking his wife, Naomi, and their two sons with them. Now, remember at the beginning, it says this was during the days when the judges ruled. In fact, in your English Bible, the book of Judges directly precedes the book of Ruth, okay? At the very end of that book, the book of Judges, there's an incredibly powerful statement that describes what life really was like in Israel at the time. This is the verse, Judges 21, 25. It says, In those days, Israel had no king, and as a result, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, we're, even though we, we live in a nation where we have a president, where there is a, a structure in place, in many ways, we are living in a time where everybody just, one, thinks they're right and does that which they think is right in their own eyes. You know, if you go into a, um, a jewelry store and you ask to see some diamonds or, a, you know, a diamond engagement ring, what they typically will do is they'll pull out the diamond, but then they'll place it on or in front of a jet black background of some sort, right? Some little velour tray that's black. And what happens is, juxtaposed to the, 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 the stark blackness, you can better see the brilliance of the diamond, right? The time that this was all happening, the story of Ruth, was a jet black time in the time of Israel. There was a moral spiral that was happening. People were abandoning their faith. People were uh, mouthing praises to God, but they were drifting far from God in their hearts, in their attitudes, and in their lifestyles. Now, as a result of everybody going their own way, doing their own thing, many people believe that the famine that was occurring in that day was a result of their disobedience. Remember, the text said uh, this severe famine came upon the line. Now, this severe famine is what caused Elimelech, who originally lived in Bethlehem, which, interestingly, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. And yet there was no bread. There was only famine. And so Elimelech decides, well, we've got to go somewhere where we can get some food. Now, the You'd think as a dad, like, well, that's what you do, right? You do whatever you have to do to provide for your family. The problem was that they went to Moab. Now, the, the Moabite nation were known for idolatry. They, they were a wayward people. In fact, uh, the, the word to the Israelite nation was, don't go by the, by the Moabites, and definitely don't let your, your children intermarry with Moabites because they'll seduce them and they'll lead them astray from the one true God. And this is where Elimelech moves his wife, Naomi, and their sons. So the question is, was that really the right move? They, they were going after food, but they were, in a sense, moving further and further away from God, from God's presence, from God's people in Judah, in Bethlehem. And it says that they went to the country of Moab. Again, Moab was in worse shape than Israel was. This was not the place to take your family. 
This was a place of utter black darkness. And this is where Naomi loses her husband, loses her sons, and now she's all alone as a woman in that culture, which was meant that really you were helpless. That's how it was in that day. Not only that, she has these two daughter-in-laws who have also lost their husbands. And now what is she going to do? All because they went to Moab. Isn't it interesting? I think in some ways all of us have been to our own Moab. You know what I mean? Like, you knew the right way to go, you knew what God wanted, and yet we did right in our own eyes. We just did what we wanted to do anyway. And then oftentimes we end up living, dealing with the consequences of turning our backs on God and wandering into the Moab of our own. And I wonder, what is Naomi feeling? What is Naomi thinking? Like, man, why did we come here? Why did we leave our faith community? Why did we leave Bethlehem? Why did we leave Judah, the place of God's presence and power and blessing? All to chase some food and look at where it has landed us. I have to also think that at that moment, she's probably thinking, what is the point of all this? Where is God in all of this? And even if I wanted to Go back to that God. Would he accept me? I heard a quote from Pastor Jay. He was reading a book recently, and he shared this with our team this past week. And the quote just simply said, Grace is always God's last word. Aren't you grateful for that? And what we see emerging in the next verses of chapter 1, actually starting in verse 6 and 7, is, is, is that diamond in the rough against the, the black backdrop of idolatry and loss and hardship and famine, we see the, the brilliance of God's grace starting to emerge in the story of Ruth. And in reality, the story of Ruth is that diamond against all of the rest. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. It says, Then... Naomi heard that in, uh, heard in Moab, because that's where she still was, that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah. Now, some versions of the Bible here say uh, that the Lord had visited his people, which in essence, if we really want to think about it, wherever the presence of God is, is where God's blessing is. The closer we get to God, the more we sense his presence and provision in our life. And Naomi heard that God's presence was in Judah and that God was providing again and that he was blessing the people with giving them good crops, it says. And so it says, Naomi and her daughter-in-laws got ready to leave Moab to return to their homeland. Now that word return is really, really significant. We get the same root word for repent from the word return, which to repent literally means to stop going one direction, realize you're going the wrong direction, and to turn and go back in the right direction, ultimately back towards God and his love and his blessing and his care over our lives. And so in a sense, Naomi has come to this place. Maybe she believes there's a, there's a chance that God's grace really does have the final word. And yet she's in this dark, bitter place in her life that we'll read more about next weekend. 
but they return. It says, with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. She said, we've got to go back home. And it wasn't just about returning home. It was about returning to where God was. And in the midst of all this, we see God starting to provide. You wonder, well, what's going to happen next? Well, we gave a little bit of away in the video, right? <laughs> but week by week, we're going to follow this story. And there's one word that we really, really need to understand because it's a word. It's not found in the book of Ruth. It's not found in actually the entire Bible. And yet we see it throughout the pages of the Bible and certainly throughout the pages of the storyline of Ruth. And that word is providence, providence. It's where we get our English word provide. It, 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 in a sense, it's God saying, I will see you through. I'm at work. I love how David Atkinson puts it. He says, providence says that God is there, that God cares, that God rules, and God provides. And he says, faith in such a God undergirds every chapter in this incredible book called Ruth. Another way that we might put providence is uh, the way that God loves and cares and orchestrates our lives, even when we don't realize it. Probably some of you in the room have memorized this incredible verse, Romans 8, 28. It simply says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. God at work behind the scenes. That's what's happening in Ruth's life. Now, I don't know about you, but even when you know that God loves you and you know that God cares, and you, you think you know that He's at work behind the scenes, when you're going through a tough scene, a tough chapter, of your own life, sometimes it's hard to see his hand, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to recognize his providence is actually at work. I was thinking about it in my own life. It was uh, man, nearly 17 years ago. Lisa and I were serving at a little church in the Akron area, and we knew that it was time to, to move, that, that God was calling us somewhere else. And uh, I left my position at this church actually without having a job to go to, which was kind of insane when I think about it looking back. But we knew, we just knew that it was time. And I started immediately, you know, reaching out and checking on websites and looking for other ministry opportunities at other churches. And I remember uh, several times, you know, I'd get a I'd get a response back, an email, then I'd get a, a phone interview. And actually, multiple times, I was told I'm in the top two for a position. And inevitably, I'd get a call. And then they'd say, you know, Todd, thanks. It's been really great talking with you. We really see, see a lot of potential in you. Uh, but, but we're going to move forward with a different candidate. And man, that was hard. It was a blow to my ego, it was a blow to my pride. 
And it happened multiple times. In fact, then there was a church that, man, I so wanted to go and be a part of. In fact, I knew somebody that was on staff there. It was out in Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, we had already applied to the chapel, and they had said no. And, and so I applied to this other place, and we were, we were on our way there, and I had an interview and met with their youth leadership team because it was a pastor student ministries job opportunity. And man, it went great. And I connected with the leaders and some cool students. And, and uh, the, my pastor friend that, that I would have been working under came to me and said, man, that was great. Man, I feel like you are the, the right guy. And then I got a call. He said, Todd, I've got some hard news. He said, the, the, the senior pastor and the executive pastor, they just, they just felt like you weren't the right fit. I can remember at moments in that journey, I remember one time in particular, I looked at Lisa, my wife, and I said, what's wrong with me? Am I such a bad person that I get, keep getting right there only to be turned down? And I remember it was on the way to that interview in Annapolis, Maryland, that the chapel called me. And I picked up the phone and they said, Todd, the, the candidate that we decided to move forward with, we had him come out, but pretty quickly we realized he wasn't the right fit. And we saw a lot in you and we wonder if you'd still be interested in finding out a little bit more at the chapel. And in that moment, I thought to myself, am I okay being pick number two? Well, we continued the conversation, and God ended up calling us onto staff at the chapel. This is over 16 years ago. And I started out in our youth ministry and saw so many lives change. In fact, Meg, who's leading worship here, she was in my youth group. Spencer, who leads worship here, up here every week, he was in my youth group. And then when our church was expanding and got to open its first multi-site campus down in Norwalk, they said, hey, Todd, would you want to go and help? And I got to be a part of one of the most thrilling journeys that I've ever experienced. And then when our founding pastor, Bill, decided to retire, the elder board, they came to myself and to Eric, and they said, would you guys take the leadership of the chapel as a whole? And this is the most incredible church and incredible place to get to be a part of. And there were moments where I wondered, God, are you there? God, do you care? What's wrong with me? And yet, providence. God was working out something that I could not have imagined or dreamed behind the scenes. And you guys, he's doing that in your life. And he was doing that in the life of Ruth and Naomi, and we are going to see it bear out chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we are going to see the diamond of God's grace touching their lives. And my prayer is that none of us would miss a bit of it in our own lives as well. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are sometimes mysteriously, quietly working behind the scenes in the midst of the stark darkness. God, you are at work. 
You care, you love, you provide. God, I don't know what season or what chapter of the story some in this room might be in. It may be a hard season. It might be a a long chapter. But God, I pray that none of us would miss your incredible grace. And that over these weeks, as we continue to follow the story of Ruth, that we would be moved to trust you in a deeper way because you are sovereign and you are working. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your Sunday.